it does um, make uh, healthcare professionals quite reluctant to want to engage in medical cannabis because I think often they they struggle to look past the stigma and actually yeah. see the medications and the benefits of it. Patiently waiting. Ahead of Drug Sciences UK Patient Conference on the 3rd of November, we catch up with Sarah Sinclair, editor of Cannabis Health, and medical cannabis patient Berta Caguaco. Both will be speaking at the conference, focusing on topics of improving access to medical cannabis more broadly and increasing the number of NHS prescriptions. Let's get a flavour of what's to come. Good morning. Hello and welcome to the Lobster Pot Podcast. I'm Dave Barton and I am the co-founder of Thermidor and this is the Lobster Pot Podcast and Jamie Bontheron. He is the other co-founder of Thermidor. How are you doing today, Jamie? I'm really good, actually. Sun's just come out for about the first time in what feels like about eight years. And I know we always talk about the weather when we do an intro, but well, well, um, we are I want to actually brag about that for once because it's making me feel better bragging about the sunshine it's not something you can do every day here but, uh, but it's all good but today we have we have not one but two special guests we have sarah sinclair who is the editor of cannabis health and she's going to be chairing some of the discussions at the upcoming uk medical cannabis patient conference next week on november the third good to see you sarah and we have a patient and healthcare consultant as well who's also going to be at the conference so we have berta caguaco good to see you both how are you doing Hi. Hey, good, thank you. Excellent stuff, Welcome. excellent. Cool. So, Sarah, let's come to you first. So, the conference, what can we look forward to? What's going to be going down? What are you going to be doing? And what, yeah, just give us a bit of a lowdown on what uh, what to expect for those who uh, haven't been to one before. Yeah, so I've been um, kind of working with Drug Science on the patient conference. It was the first um, time this happened last year, and the idea behind it was it was a collaboration between um, Drug Science and MedCan Family Foundation to sort of address a unmet need, I guess, in the industry. We have kind of these very conferency, businessy events, which are very like suits and very professional. Um, and then we have sort of the more recreational focused events, which are obviously great, but it felt like there was a need for something in the middle to kind of bring patients together and provide a space to share experiences, share stories and, and hopefully bring in other patients who want to learn more about it to kind of um, help them on their journey. So, so yeah, hopefully it will be kind of building on what happened last year. I, I felt like last year I wasn't sort of hosting, but I was like kind of there mm -hmm. taking notes all day. And it was a great, it was just a great vibe, I think, of kind of people mm -hmm. coming together with this shared, um, shared love of the plant and the um, benefits that it has on kind of an individual level, but also for the wider community. So very much kind of building on that this year and yes there'll be lots of discussions on kind of what obviously we're coming up to the five-year anniversary of the law change yes. next week so we'll be reflecting on the developments the progress or you might say the lack of progress over the last five years and um looking forward as well to the future in terms of what cannabis healthcare looks like um and and also i think we're going to have some discussions around kind of what as an industry what we can do to sort of to grow and address the sort of need to engage patients outside of this existing cannabis community that we've got. So we're gonna explore some of those things. And um, yeah, I won't I won't give it all away yet. We'll, yeah. We can no, dive no, no, into no. that later. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And I think, I mean, in terms of where we're at right now, I mean, depending on which 
numbers you listen to and again it seems to fluctuate wildly what are we 100,000 patients in the UK or thereabouts and we're so a nation it, of 67 ish million I mean that's yeah. nothing well, it's not really a dent is it tell, tell what do you think what's your uh, what's your take on this yeah well it's actually so it's 140,000 prescriptions but patient okay. numbers are actually I think it's still around 30,000 maybe like 32,000 now and right. um, so in terms of the patient numbers were actually way <laughs> way wow. down. okay um but yeah and, and i mean those hundred and forty thousand prescriptions that's from november 2018 to november 2022 i think is the latest okay. data that there is so yeah i mean it, it there's yeah i guess you could say that there was <laughs> not not that much progress had been made but again you know that's still thirty-two thousand patients that have been able to sort of access yeah. a treatment that's hopefully been really beneficial so 100 percent. and as one of those patients but tell us a little bit about your sort of experience of uh you know being a medical cannabis patient and working in the sort of the healthcare sector T tell us a little bit more about um your experience hi uh, my name is berta um, so my background is I initially started my career as a children's psychotherapist and I mostly worked with trauma and abuse and then I moved on to working um, in the substance misuse sector and um, that's where I sort of developed my senior management um, skills and um, developed into um, managing health and social care sectors um, and then moved on to managing um, children's uh, care sectors uh, before moving on into consultancy and um, recently being the CQC registered for uh, manager for a medical cannabis provider. Oh, wow. And uh, my experience in medical cannabis is I'm also a patient. Um, I've been a patient since, I think since the onset really um, of medical cannabis um one of the reasons why i mean in general one of the reasons why people can access medical cannabis or what was something of a criteria prior to the criteria changing recently was that you would have had to trialed and failed uh two conventional methods meaning that um you would have had to gone through the system and trialed a variety of different things before you were approved Therefore, a lot of the patients would essentially be complex needs patients um, because they've got, um, you know, in some cases, quite severe clinical unmet needs. And in my case, when I developed COVID, I mean, I've always had um, diagnoses, but when I developed COVID and long COVID, it flared up all of my diagnoses, which is fibromyalgia arthritis, um, hemianesthesia, which is um, slight um, loss of sensitivity on the left side of the body. Uh, and it's the entire left side of the body. And sometimes it can be, you know, it can go paralyzed, um, bilateral sciatica, a history of Morton's neuroma, and um, as a, a sirens on the C6, C7 of my spine, I suppose asthma, <laughs> not, not that that's really yeah. relevant, but it's uh, it's quite a long list and ongoing, and I'm still having a variety of different um, 
interventions via the NHS. But one of the main reasons why I decided to start speaking out about medical cannabis is because of my experience working there and uh, discrimination that I felt that a lot of patients experience, which, you know, for me as somebody who went from being unable I mean, I'm not sure how much time I have. Do you want me to go through some of? No, let's, let's go. No, tell us, tell us more. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, you know, I try a variety of different things. Sometimes I do a, a bit of physio. I do some massage. I do yoga. I go to the gym. I take my vitamins. I diet. You know, you do the regular things that you need to do in order to take care of your health. But unfortunately. Uh, sometimes you can be quite crippled by a lot of symptoms. And I think often people associate pain with just pain. But the reality is that not only are you in pain in practically every fiber of your being, but you're also nauseous. Sometimes you're vomiting. Sometimes you've got IBS. Um, sometimes you get a bit of a locked jaw where you're unable to speak. Um, and to a very bad toothache, I've got loss of teeth um you get ulcers and blisters in your mouth um and uh you get a skin that is sort of like scaling and peeling off sometimes a lot of memory loss so you'll probably notice me going oh, oh a lot of the time or asking the same question of often because i will forget um you have lost of appetite there's been periods where i've been a size six because i've been unable to physically eat and i've had to force protein shakes down me just so that i can have something inside of me you get confusion migraine heart flashes dizziness fainting um swelling i mean if i if i'm gonna be honest the list goes on it's not yeah. just the pain it's a lot of other things associated with the pain and um often when it's just pain it's something easier to deal with but when you have all the other symptoms it becomes unbearable and you're often found bed bound for about two weeks sometimes um sometimes a week and you know, although before I was taking uh, medical cannabis sporadically uh, from 2001, I started taking it more regularly and I've noticed that I've had to, I've been able to replace a lot of my medication and take a lot of the NHS medication much less. I've noticed that I'm able to at least present like a functioning human being, even though I might forget this conversation in about 10 minutes time. <laughs> I am able to work again, I'm able to socialize again, I'm able to travel. And yes, I have lots of limitations, I need lots of breaks. And I, you know, I do rely on medication. Mm -hmm. But at least I'm functioning, and I've got some form of quality of life, which a lot of our patients do benefit from. Mm -hmm. And I felt within the industry, it was quite heartbreaking to see a lot of our patients struggling um, to advocate for something that is their legal right. And, um, you know, not to be all political about it, but they have freedom of choice and freedom of speech. And if they feel that uh, conventional methods aren't working for them, then they should be able to trial another medication. And one of the things I suppose that we're going to be discussing at the conference is some of the barriers for patients and looking at some of the stigma so that we can start and I suppose so that we can start 
looking at medical cannabis in a much more different way. I know it's associated with substance misuse and I do consultancy in that sector. I'm very familiar with substance misuse. I wouldn't be advocating for medical cannabis if I thought that it was extremely dangerous and highly addictive. And I do work with illicit cannabis users and I know the difference. and I suppose I want to share a lot of, I suppose, my experience, some of the barriers I've experienced um, to try and promote uh, medical cannabis to naive patients and potentially even patients now to yeah. improve on their existing quality of life. Now, I mean, wow, first of all, I mean, thank, thank you for sharing. I mean, I, but again, it, it goes to show that someone who's still very well informed on cannabis and the use of it and you know obviously benefits from it a great deal you're still very aware of the stigma and I'd like to ask I mean what do you feel is the real I mean is it still a lot of stigma or is it kind of the cost that's sort of holding people back or is it the kind of or is it the NHS and not being able to kind of prescribe it you know you, you need to get that sign off is it is it a kind of combination of all of those factors do you think are really inhibiting the kind of uptake of uh, medical cannabis by a broader number of people because i'm sure more people than you know a lot more thought could, could benefit from it absolutely so yeah i mean i believe it's a combination of those and more um obviously we these are stuff that we are going to discuss at the conference um mm. but i suppose one of the biggest ones is always stigma um in the uk um, the recent census done in 2022 reveals that I believe 7% of the UK prop- population illicitly use cannabis. That is 4.6 million people. So you can understand from a substance misuse perspective that um, prescribers or healthcare professionals are quite reluctant to get, engage in something. And just to clarify, cannabis, illicit cannabis, is the number one substance misuse in the UK, followed by alcohol. No, sorry, followed by cocaine. <laughs> um, but I'm not going to go too much into substance misuse. This is not what this is about. Just in, just to give you an idea that a lot of people misuse cannabis and as a result, it does um, make uh, healthcare professionals quite reluctant to want to engage in medical cannabis because I think often they, they struggle to look past the stigma and actually yeah. see the medications and the benefits of it. For some people, of course, you know, like every treatment, yeah. sometimes it can work for some people. But I guess it's that idea of misuse as well and what that means. I mean, we talk about misuses and people are self-medicating or what, what, what in terms what do, what do you define as that? Yeah, recreational. recreational use. Yeah, it could be for a variety of different reasons. It could be self-medicating. It could be peer mm-hmm. pressure. It could be for fun. It could be um, out of curiosity. There are a variety of reasons mm-hmm. why people use. But the interesting part about this census, and, and, and honestly, anybody can Google it, is yeah. that um, it was done in a nine-month period so bearing in mind, these figures are from nine month period, and these people have been um, misusing uh, recreationally um, for about two, roughly two, two or three, maybe don't quote me on that one, but roughly two or three years yeah. time. And I thought, and, and of course, it increased during the pandemic, as you're aware, mental health increased during that time, therefore did substance misuse, um, because more and more people were self-medicating. 
Um, but it's interesting that this isn't anything new. This is something that has increased, yes, but it's nothing new and you know, illicit or recreational, whatever you want to call it, use um, has always been around. And it and you know it's associated with a lot of negativity. It's associated with poverty. It's associated with um, delinquency, crime. Um, as a result, um, again, a lot of uh, healthcare professionals, um, you know, do feel a bit nervous when it comes to medical cannabis, and often don't even give it a second chance. They just overlook it and say, "Oh, this person is just trying a medication-seeking behavior," and. That, you know that's the end of that story um which is really sad um i mean i don't want to talk too much sorry i think i, 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 not <laughs> I was just gonna say i think you touched on the the sort of fact that you know a, a significant amount of those people are self-medicating um and i think it's 1.8 million sort of estimated of self-medicating with cannabis in the uk and and then I think it's interesting that that obviously increased in the pandemic because people are using it for mental health reasons. So, you know, pot potentially even more self-medicating. And I think the industry does tend to focus on that 1.8 million a lot. But what <laughs> I hope to explore a bit more at the conference is how we can kind of get out of that sort of yes. that community and reach those like you say who are cannabis naive who still are not even aware that it's legal i think something like half of the population yes. don't even know that medical cannabis has been legal since yep. 2018 um and and yeah we want to sort of address what we can do as an industry to improve how we're communicating about this and help engage those those people that you know might be a bit hesitant about it or might have this stigma attached um, and we'll actually have some representatives from charities there on on the panel from we've got someone from parkinson's uk and um ellis Dunlos support uk who are going to sort of talk about their experiences and their views and i think having those outside perspectives are really important for kind of moving the conversation forward yeah, leads into what I was going to ask a little bit. And when when we started talking, Sarah, you mentioned, you know, it, you said, I think it's still 30, 40,000 people that have been helped. And I think that's quite a positive outlook. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Dave and I openly kind of poo poo quite often, like uptake and how slow it's been. And I'm sure it's something that frustrates a lot of people in the industry. And, and I think it's, it frustrates people in the industry because they know how, you know, how much good it could do. Just yeah. um, broadly speaking, are you, um, maybe a question for both maybe start with sarah but like are you are you are you kind of positive about you know where it's headed do you like broadly speaking are you quite excited about the trajectory and and what you think is capable of uh, of, of the industry delivering i guess mm -hmm. well that that depends what day you ask me that question <laughs> <laughs> to be honest um yeah, I think it, it's hard. It's a hard industry to be in right now. And, and it is quite easy when you're working inside the industry to be frustrated at the lack of progress that's being made. And, you know, I think a lot of companies are struggling financially and, and it is it is really tough. It, it's, you know, I've been doing this for kind of over three years now. And, and some days you do think like, why am I even doing this anymore? You know, we're not actually getting anywhere. But mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to the conference because I think it's hopefully going to be a reminder of actually like the positive benefits that have come from it, even if we're not as far along as we want to be kind of being in that room with everyone and hearing these stories. I'm hoping for me is going to be a reminder of like, oh, yeah, like this is why we keep doing this. And this is why we keep talking about it and having the same conversations, because if for just that individual person like Berta, who's kind of living with those complex conditions, you know, I've got a chronic illness myself. It can be like a completely life changing treatment. Mm -hmm. and 
that individual person then goes able to sort of work and provide engage in their community they can provide in the economy you know there's so many much wider benefits that are not being recognized and well, i just hope you know we will eventually kind of get to that point and um, but you know just to you know it's, i'm a slightly more positive as well i think you know one of the latest sort of industry reports identified the uk as one of the fastest growing markets in europe kind of after germany oh. german germany is obviously kind of much further ahead than we are but i still think compared to other countries in europe you know we, we do we have made some considerable progress there's obviously just a lot more untapped potential um huh so my <laughs> i'm terrible because i am i'm hopeful um but i am also very disappointed at the progress that we've made um, I'm sorry, I'm a straight shooter, so I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> um, but, okay, so initially you said, you know, 140,000. And I thought, oh, my God, we have made some progress. That's better than I realized. And then you said 30 to 40, and I thought, what? Oh, and, it, you know, it just, it my heart sank because I, well, you know, while researching for this presentation or or podcast um i was looking at figures and um you know i'm a pain patient so i was looking at pain figures yeah and okay in i'm just going to read something that i wrote that that i jotted down from before so um from a pain perspective right roughly 34 percent that is 15.5 million people in the uk are living with chronic pain and out of those um uh 34 sorry out of those 15.5 million 12 percent that is 5.5 million of them their pain impacts their ability to carry out day-to-day -day tasks so they're living in high impact pain um, the and so bearing in mind it is uh 5.5 million living in impact pain and the NHS only treats 4.6 million a year which means we are looking at 41,400 people who have unmet clinical need and are struggling to carry out day-to-day -day tasks yeah so when I hear figures like 30 40,000 <laughs> I get very upset because I know what it's like to not be able to even get out of bed to go and pee, as embarrassing as it is to admit. And to think that there are so many other people out there who were struggling the same way I was struggling, trust me, it takes a toll on your mental health. And to think that there is 41,000 people that have unmet clinical needs and you have medical cannabis here that is literally saving and changing people's lives because I, you know, I don't just believe in, you know, the right to live, which is our human right. I believe the right to live means the right to having a, a good quality of life. You know, what's, you know, what's the point of living if you don't have a quality of life? You're just a, a, a vegetable. Um, so I'll stop my rant now. But uh... <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, these are all huge. I mean, you, you talk about it in the context of sort of pain management and pain patients. And, you know, again, like you say, that's just one part of this, you know, you know, this, you know, neurological, you know, psychological, well, you know, use cases as well. And I think in many cases, you know, all of us in some respects could benefit from it essentially in 
when you think of it in those contexts, but it's about kind of putting, and I think that's really the, the beauty of having uh, something like this conference is that, you know, it really opens up the discussion. And mm -hmm. like you're saying, people become advocates and there's so many kind of really good advocacy groups here in the UK, you know, not just aimed at patients, but, you know, you've got the MCCS as well, the Medical Cannabis Clinician Society, Educating Doctors. And it's like all of these parts, and just to kind of wrap up here is that all of these kind of moving parts are doing their own thing almost a little bit in isolation and it feels like something like this is really essential in terms of you know uniting you know the community and thinking of it in terms of a community and i think that's what you know will really help i mean do, do you think that sarah just to kind of get a final take from me do you think that's this is the sort of thing that's needed and also what else could we be doing or what else can needs to happen in order to kind of help nurture that community yeah, I mean, I think it, it's always difficult. It's such a complex issue and there's so many different moving parts that need to be addressed. You know, doctors mm. need to be educated. We need the legislation to allow, for example, GPs to prescribe. That Obviously, we need NHS access, which is like the most fundamental thing. Um, and none of these are kind of straightforward things. But I do think that the, the industry does tend to sort of fraction itself off and, and there's a lot of kind of people doing good work but sort of independently from each other and, and sometimes it's a bit confusing because there's sort of all these different messages and then there's a new campaign for this and a new campaign for this and I think you know the cannabis industry council has done a really good job of trying to like bring that together mm -hmm. um, but yeah and I, I, there's just something about kind of when you're face to face with people and you're having those conversations and um, able to sort of engage with people that that does kind of like harbour a sense of community and hopefully from that you know relationships and they'll develop and people will collaborate and, and, and you know and that does happen don't get me wrong like that does happen in the industry and i think it has improved a lot in kind of the last few years there's a lot more collaboration between different sort of advocacy, mm -hmm. advocacy groups and stuff i think um there is kind of a, a bit of a gap in terms of patient advocacy groups at the moment i don't know mm -hmm. if there's kind of um I, I, you probably can speak to that more berta but yeah you know we've seen a there is a few different groups but i think for people who are maybe not already in the community or not already adult use users i'm not sure if there's somewhere that's kind of obvious for them to go mm. to for support if you know what i mean so yeah mm. I, th I think maybe that could be a really powerful outcome of this event um and yeah i'll shut up now <laughs> <laughs> no not at all not at all no i think again all of for all of the reasons that you know this is going to be I think it's going to be it's going to be a really interesting day so I'm, I'm personally looking forward to it and uh look forward to seeing you both there and uh hearing uh, your stories and uh, everybody else's at the show so thank you very much uh Berta and to Sarah and uh have a good rest of the week and uh we'll see you soon thank, thank you. you thank you so much all the best thank you bye bye